Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, If you've been with us at church over the past few weeks, you'll know we've been looking particularly at this book, the Bible, that it's God's word and that it speaks to us. It speaks truth. And we're called to listen and obey. But I wonder if some of you have had a nagging question. What happens when you get a difficult bit? The bits that are just really difficult to understand. Well, if that was you, hopefully this morning is the answer. We've probably picked, well, for many, is the most difficult part of the Bible, the book of Revelation that Jan so wonderfully read to us. I mean, we have beasts, dragons, a lake of burning sulfur, Birds gorging on flesh. It sounds more like some sort of script of a horror movie than a passage from the Bible. I mean, if this is God's word, and maybe some of you wondering what is going on, what could we ever learn from this passage? Well, the next few weeks, as John mentioned, we'll be looking at the very last chapters of the Bible from the book of Revelation. And what we'll find presents an amazing hope for those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus. But it is true, the book of Revelation is not easy. It's a difficult book to understand. So how do we deal then when we read such the trickier parts of Scripture? We could, of course, just take the easy option and ignore it. There's lots of other parts of the Bible that are a bit easier to understand. But actually, if we do that, we miss reading the whole of God's word. And we miss some of the richness and depth that comes from these parts of the Bible. And in fact, this book of Revelation has had an enormous impact on the lives and on culture and on the world. Did you know, for example, that just some of the words and phrases we use, hallelujah, the Alpha and Omega, Armageddon, Apocalypse, lukewarm, pearly gates, streets paved with gold, these all come from this book. In fact, many of the songs, in fact, the words of the communion service that we use later, many of those come from this book of Revelation. And it's been a huge comfort and reassurance to many Christians throughout the world, particularly when they're facing persecution or hardships or trials or difficulties. So I think it's important that we grasp an understanding of this book. And like any part of scripture, it's important then. How do we grasp? Well, it's important to know two things, really. Firstly, the context. And secondly, what type of literature it is. That's important for any part of scripture, but particularly when we're doing something that's a little bit more difficult, that reads not what we're used to reading. So firstly, context. And the context, basically, who, who wrote it and who to? Well, actually, fortunately on this book, we know. If we go back to chapter 1, then we find out it's written by John. 
probably the apostle who'd been with Jesus and wrote the Gospel of John and his letters. And who is it written to? It's written to seven churches in what is now Western Turkey in the time of the Roman Empire. And we learn these first three chapters, these churches were facing a variety of difficulties. Some of the Christians were experiencing poverty in a world where there was huge wealth inequality, suffering trials and hardships, persecution. They were being lied about and slandered in the community around them. And then within the churches themselves, there was division. Some had been maybe a bit complacent and lukewarm in their faith. Some were struggling to resist the temptations that the world offered around them. Wealth, possessions, promiscuity. I don't know, does that sound as different from our own today and the challenges that we face? I sometimes hear people say to me, this book was written 2,000 years ago. What could it really say to us now? But actually, as someone who did history at university, I can tell you that, yes, as human beings, we've advanced a lot in technology, in science, and in some areas of our understanding. But in human desires and needs and temptations and our wants, I'm not sure we've changed at all. I think this book is as relevant today as it was when it's written. So that's firstly the context. But the second type of question then we need to ask is what type of literature it is. The Bible is made of 66 books and there are various different types of literature in them. So there are songs, there's history books, there are prophecies, there are letters, there are proverbs. And in fact, we all need to read each one slightly differently. So what type of book is this book of Revelation? Well, again, we're told at the start of the book. Basically, John is filled by the Holy Spirit and he has this vision that he is told to write down just as he sees it. And the vision is basically about the end times, what will happen at the end of the world. It's what we call apocalyptic. It's the only style, it's the only book of that type in the New Testament. We have a few in the Old Testament, too, a few parts. For example, the last few chapters of the book of Daniel. But that's quite important to remember this type because it's a vision. And so that means we read it differently. It's a book wanting us to interact with it, to visualise, to create pictures, to be drawn into those imagery. It's not, I don't think, for us to necessarily fix on every single word and go, well, what does that bit mean? Why, for example, the birds grasping the flesh or whatever? What's it to do with burning sulphur? I don't think it's, I think it's just creating a visual image wants us to focus on the bigger picture. Similar in some ways to how we'd read the parables of Jesus. They're stories. He wants us to focus on what is the underlying message. And I think the same is true in this book of Revelation. He's creating these images he wants us to interact with. Now, of course, quite often, people have seen it a different way. They thought, there's lots of numbers, for example, in this book. I'm a mathematician as well, and I love numbers. But, um, and often people have tried to interpret them there's some key to unlock its meaning, and then you'll find out it tells us about different stages of history and different individuals. But actually, when John Wright wrote this, he called it revelation. That word means that John is wanting to unveil his truth. 
There's no secret code. He just wants us to read it, to engage with it. It's there for us to understand, to grasp it now, what it means to us now. And if there's nothing else you get out of my talk, the one thing you do is go away and read the book of Revelation in one sitting if you can, then that would be an amazing thing to do. I think it's a brilliant book, but just interact with it. Let the Holy Spirit read with you and just interact with those pictures and visualize. It's actually a brilliant book. So we know the context and then what type of book it is. It's unusual, it's apocalyptic, but you may still be thinking, it's a book with dragons and strange beasts and battles between good and evil. I mean, come on. I mean, how relevant is that today? I mean, no one's really interested in that sort of thing, except that we had Game of Thrones, didn't you? That had dragons in it, and Lord of the Rings, that's probably got beasts, and, and then there's all good and evil battles, there's Star Wars, Avengers. I mean, this sort of theme, I mean, this has been going on for thousands of years, still as popular today as it was then. Now, of course, there's a very big difference. The book of Revelation is God's word. He's saying this is what will happen. It's a vision, a visual illustration of what will happen, what's happening now, and what will happen in the future. But I actually think, in a sense, those television shows and those films actually quite helpful because, in a sense, John is writing here a film script, a television series, with these images and visuals and scenes and episodes. And he's asking us to join in, to be part of the cast. This is a story which we are in, and we will be in till the end of time. So let's go and join that cast now. Talked a bit, hopefully, that's explained a bit about this book of Revelation. But let's now look at that passage from Revelation chapter 19 and 20. It's on page 1258. And if you're watching online as well, if you've got a Bible with you, it would be great. As I said, it's quite a difficult book, so it'd be fantastic if you can open your Bibles and make sure that what I'm saying and opening up aligns with what you're seeing as well. And in some ways, again, this is a book to be engaged with, to interact with. And what you'll notice when you look at this passage is that John starts each section with the words, I saw, or then I saw. Effectively, each bit is a vision, an individual vision. And so I think he has three particular visions that he sees in the section that we've got this passage. Firstly, there is a battle, there is a kingdom, and there is a judgment. So firstly, a battle. Let's look at verses 19 to 21. And I want you to visualize this with me. He says this. He says, then he saw there's two sides. You can imagine a plane or something with two armies. One that is a rider on his horse, dressed in a robe. And we learned earlier in verses 11 to 15 who this rider is. He, is, he has a dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. He's called the word of God. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword. It's very clear that John is pointing, this is Jesus Christ leading his army. And then he's, he's followed by this army of heaven. They've got no weapons. A bit odd for a battle, but they're dressed rather in fine linen, white and clean, and on white horses. Probably a very impressive sight, maybe not for a battle. And then on the other side, we read in verse 19, and I saw the beast 
and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war. This beast. But in fact, John here is referring back actually to the book of Daniel. There was a beast there. And that and he's talked about the beast also in the rest of this book of Revelation. This beast basically stands for the state or authorities. Those who seek to supplant God and seek instead to be worshipped and obeyed. Now, they, the people he was writing to very clearly known who that was. That was the Roman Empire that was ruling at the time. That was what the beast was. And then the authorities under them, the local governments, those that instead were saying, you need to worship us. Forget God. You need to worship us. And if you don't worship us, if you don't bow down to us, then we will persecute you. So that was then. But you're probably wondering, how relevant is that today? Well, even today, there are many oppressive regimes in the world that continue to seek their people to worship and obey them over God. You only think of North Korea or Iran or Afghanistan or many other parts of the world and that persecute those who refuse, those who follow Jesus. But what about here? Well, even here, is there not a sense that we're asked to worship the state and take out God? Maybe a more subtle way, but does the beast sometimes still speak? Keep God just in your church, in private devotion. Don't bring God and his values into the workplace, into the schools, into politics, or into polite conversation. God's not really welcome. Keep him to your private life, it says. Worship whether the God of liberal democracy or capitalism, or they're perfect, rather than saying, actually, there's another way to follow God. But John also mentions here another character. Um, read it further on. He says, the false prophet performed miraculous signs and deluded those. Now, this false prophet, again, is referred to many part, many is referred back in many other sections of the book of Revelation. And in some ways, the false prophet stands for the culture that pervades, the ideas that again say, ignore God. Just today, the false prophets still speak. Says, you know, just ignore God. He's no fun. If you want to enjoy your life, have whatever you want. Money, possessions, exploit the environment. Satisfy your desires. That's how to live. Don't think of others or think of God. Serve yourself, says the false prophet. That's how to live. Is that true today as well? Do we face that equal temptation? To live as the false prophet says. And how do we respond? Well, John invites us onto the scene. He says, will we be part of this army of Jesus? Not with weapons, dressed in white, a symbol that Jesus has cleansed us so we can live for him, know his love and reflect it to others to seek to do what's right, to follow and obey his word. But you may think, well, you're reading this in John's, well, why would I want to do that? This seems a bit of an unequal battle. I mean, you've got one side, Jesus with his army, they've got no weapons. On the other, you've got this army of the kings of the earth, 
and they're probably armed with tanks and missiles and everything. I mean, it seems a bit of a one-sided battle. And John says, you're right. Basically, there isn't really a battle at all. The beast and the false prophet are captured. The armies of the kings of the earth are destroyed with the sword from the rider on his horse. His word supplants and strikes them down. Not what we thought, is it? But actually, if you look through history, empires, military mights have come and gone. But God's word has remained true and continues to spread and work and inspire the lives of others. No wonder then that at the end of time, it'll be God's word that succeeds. So John's message is clear in this first vision. Whatever the pressures of the world around us to conform, to give in to temptation, then it's hard to follow Jesus and be different. Yet actually we can know that we have Jesus with us. I wonder for you today, is living as a Christian feel like a battle? Can it sometimes be hard and a trial, just as it was for those early churches? Well, John reminds us here that in Jesus, the word of God, who died on the cross for us, he is with us and ultimately will prevail. And maybe if life isn't a battle, then maybe there's a challenge and actually, is there something we should be battling for? To let Jesus into the lie, into our life and into the lives of others. So that's the first vision, a battle. But then the second vision we read in chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. John starts again. This is a kingdom. But firstly, actually, he starts with a dragon. This dragon, again, symbolizes Satan, the devil, the great serpent from the Garden of Eden, He's seized and bound in a bottomless pit. And then there's a start of a new kingdom. There are thrones with Jesus at the centre. Those who've been killed for their faith sit on the thrones and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. And then, somehow, for bad behaviour, Satan gets early release, gathers a huge army from across the world, the nations that don't know God, there's reference to Gog and Magog. That refers back to the book of Ezekiel. And then they besiege God's army. But just as it looks like everything's going badly wrong for the people of Jesus, fire comes down and devours them. You're probably sitting there thinking, okay, I've maybe get the battle. But what is going on here? What's this thousand years for starters? But hopefully, let me go through it. So firstly, there is a bit of on this thousand years, there are different views. Okay, and I'll go very quickly summarise them. But if you want to know more, you're very welcome to speak to me or to John. Um, there is a, one view, it's called premillennial. Basically, that what John says here will happen, that Jesus will return, but just and bring in a first kingdom with a few, the saints, those who've been martyred, um, and then Satan will come back, and then there'll be a final where we're all raised up. That's very consistent with what John says here. Downside that view is it's not particularly consistent with the rest of the Bible. But anyway, um, the second view is called post-millennial. Um, and that's rather than Jesus returning, it's the church itself, as Christ's representative, will suddenly become dominant and good will reign over evil. Again, for a period. It could be a thousand years or more or less. Um, but that's the second view. The third view is called amillennial. 
Um, and this is where it's symbolic, this thousand years, and actually is what we're living in now. And basically started when Jesus came to earth and died on the cross and rose again. Now the basis for that view is actually that first bit about Satan being bound. When Jesus, some of you may know in the Gospels, there are a number of references. When Jesus came, he said, Satan has now been bound or defeated by him coming and dying on the cross. And actually, okay, we do still see evil in the world around us. But actually, Christ came to bring in his kingdom when he came to the world and continues to bring his kingdom to those who want to follow him. And we see, if you think when John wrote this book, there were a few churches around the Mediterranean. Now, the church has spread to the whole world. There are people becoming Christian, even today, people coming to know Jesus Christ for the first time. Now, it doesn't really, whatever view you take on this one, in some ways there are different views. I still think what John is saying here is he makes two very important points. The first is this in this passage. The firstly, we are faced by Satan or devil. We're faced by the presence of evil and opposition to God. Satan, firstly, is the personification of evil. You only have to look at the newspapers and see those still evil at work. But John here also refers to the devil as the great deceiver, leading people astray, a personification of deception and lies and slander. And it's quite interesting, the first few chapters, he talks about Satan in those, acting in those who live lives that are about lies and deception and wanting to take advantage of others. But actually even that, you see Satan at work. When we're seeking to do what's right and stand for truth, and yet others who lie are taking advantage of us and seem to be winning. And finally, Satan is just a personification of all that is opposed to God. So when we experience life, we're trying to live for life for God, and yet we find hardship or difficulties or obstacles. John is saying, look, that is the reality of living as a Christian, that we will face that. And yet, he says, whatever we face, John's vision shows us that Jesus is in control. He's establishing his kingdom and inviting us in. He wants us to raise us up, to be the people we are made to be, to live life as he made it to be, life to the full, to follow Jesus, our Lord and King. He wants us to be his priests, basically people who know God and share God with others, bring his love to others. And he wants us to reign with him, to, to reign and rule, but not in the way that Jesus ruled, by serving God and serving others. And even when things seem really tough, when we seem to be besieged and surrounded on all sides, life just feels like everything's coming at us. Well, look what we read in John's Gospel here, that Jesus is still there with us. He knows what it's like. And if we stay close to him in his camp, then we know that we are safe in his refuge. Ultimately, evil will be defeated. Jesus will prevail. So a battle, a kingdom. And then finally, we have in verses 11 to 15, a final vision, a judgment. So then he says, I saw a throne. On it was seated God himself. 
And then the earth and the sky, they even flee in preparation for a new earth, a new heaven. And then the dead standing before the throne. And then are brought out lots and lots of books. I don't know how many, doesn't say. Maybe there's one book for each one of us. And it's opened. It just can visualize this. And it records everything we've done, every word we've said, the good things, the things actually I'm quite pleased of, and the things I'm not so pleased of. Maybe the things that we would rather not be told. I wonder, how would you feel if that book was read out? Could you stand in the presence of God and not look down, not look a bit uncomfortable? But, John says, there's another book, the book of life, just with a list of names. On it listed those who will enter eternity with God forever, where death itself, as he says later on, will be defeated. And what is this book of life? Well, we learn in chapter 13, it belongs to the lamb that was slain. It is Jesus' book of life. Because through his death on the cross, we can be forgiven of whatever's on those other books. And if we choose to believe and trust in him, give our lives to him, then Jesus promises that we're on that book of life. That is an amazing assurance. And if you want to know more about that, then do please speak to me or to John. It's this just brilliant imagery books and this book of life that Jesus died so that we can know him and know eternity. So three visions, a battle, a kingdom, and judgment. They're like scenes, aren't they, from a film, episodes from a TV series. But we are invited to join, be part of his army, Jesus' army, raised up to be in his kingdom, to have our name listed in the book of life. You may recall that when we have a baptism at church, we often say these words, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world and the devil. Remain faithful to Christ at the end of your life. Well, these visions actually encourage that exactly, that life can feel like a fight and a battle against the world and its values, against the devil and his deception, and against the sin that sits on those books and says, look, you know, you can squirm in front of God. And yet, John shows us that in Christ, it's a fight where he is with us. That if we know him, and through his death on the cross, that he is there with us. And he will win. And he invites us to be faithful as part of this vision. Be a member of his army reflect God's love and goodness and be part of his kingdom, close to us in every aspect of our lives and with the assurance that we've invited Christ into our lives, we have forgiven people on that book of life. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram 
to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.